We're going to continue in our study today um, on the gospel through you. Uh, I love uh, that video um, because of the verse, right? That that's uh, what we're talking about, is being witnesses of Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to go ahead and, Isaac, if you don't mind, I want to go ahead and show this video now just because I like that video. And, and uh, um, uh, you know Pastor Brett's been in Sierra Leone uh, this past week, and he sent me this cool little video if you want to throw it up there. This is them leaving the village um, yesterday, I think. These are all the kids that we are partnering with and supporting. Um, that's the village uh, that you've been hearing so much about, Pelewala. So Brett was actually riding on the back of a truck um, right after this video. By the way, he falls off. It's really funny, but just kidding. He doesn't. Did you think I was serious? No, you didn't. Um, so that's the, uh, that's the village, and I love the... Uh, just the focus that that gives us, right? We, uh, we, we hit a spot in the ministry where we were praying for space. We just felt the need. We still kind of feel it. Um, but uh, Nate Meeker was praying one time, and he said, Lord, we asked you for space, and you gave us a village. Um, that right at the same time of just feeling the press of here and just kind of our experience, uh, the Lord throws this our way. And so we're able to partner with this village and these kids and meet some of their physical needs ultimately uh, to present the, uh, the person of Jesus Christ to them. So be uh, praying for them. They're traveling back now. Brett was able to preach. Um, there's one Christian pastor and one Christian church in this village, and he was able to preach there. Um, with a translator, of course, um, that was about five hours ago, um, so that was a pretty cool experience for him, I bet, but uh, let's keep in, them our, in our prayers as they travel back. They'll be back tomorrow evening. So, um, anyways, we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, uh, starting in verses 11 through 21, and uh, this is going to help us a lot as we begin to put some flesh uh, to this thought of the gospel living through you, right? Last week, we talked about how belief is to transpire into this conviction that compels you to move outward, right? That if you're really convinced of the gospel in your own life, wouldn't you tell people about that, right? If you're really convinced that there was a person who, who, who was a God-man who came, who died on your behalf to forgive you of sin, um, wouldn't you want to tell people of that, right? Um, and so that's what we talked about, and we talked about the conviction, but today we're going to try to put some flesh to it, right? And we're going to uh, do it all with this mindset of gospel intentionality. It's just how you think about it. It's your intentions with, with what God has given you in life, and so we're going to unpack that. I want to start with just a story of just how silly and stupid I can be sometimes, okay? Which I like to tell stories about that. So um, a while back I was doing some work in my garage, and... Uh, I took a project apart. I don't remember what I built, but whatever it was, it wasn't good because I had to take it apart. Um, and so I was taking it apart, and I had a bunch of wood with a bunch of nails in it, right? And so I have a bunch of kids at home. I thought it would be good to get the nails out of the wood so I could repurpose the wood and so they don't play with it and puncture themselves. And so I was using my hammer to pull all of these nails out. I was doing it for a while until I, got, I hit a snag. There was one nail that just wouldn't come out. This is a true story. Um, it's not crazy, it's just true. I didn't create it just to fit the sermon. But so uh, I took my hammer and I started pulling on the nail, and it felt like the nail came out, but really what actually happened is the handle ripped at, at the hammerhead, right? It's a fiberglass handle. I don't know if they just get tired at some point or what, but um, I, I just pulled. It didn't snap. It didn't pull out of the hammerhead. It just ripped, right? And then all of a sudden, I had a few options in my pocket that I could do. First, I could 
walk 10 feet to get my pry bar that I forgot that I had, which would have been a lot better for the job anyways. Um, I could have drove a mile to Menards to buy a new hammer, or I could keep trying to pull the nail out with the hammerhead without a handle. Which one did I, which one did I do? So you're laughing, so you know which one I did, right? I even had times where I had the wood on one side and the hammerhead on the other, and I was pushing with both legs trying to leverage it to, to pull the hammer. So I remember scraping my hands, getting a few uh, bruised ankles. Like, I got hurt in the process until I finally went to Menards because I still forgot that I had the pry bar and got a hammer and then came back and then realized that I had a pry bar. So anyways, it wasn't a great experience. But the point is this, right? The hammer head, right, that solid piece of metal, right, it's, it's fine. It functioned fine, right? It just never had any leverage, right? Uh, it, it's been perfectly engineered to do its job and to do its job well if it has the handle, if it has power behind it, if it has leverage to go with it, right? Outside of that, the hammerhead, regardless of how perfect and solid it is, it's not going to work because there's no power, there's no leverage. Does that make sense? So this is kind of the case with our faith sometimes, that we are convinced, or at least we say we're convinced about the gospel, and we have this belief, but what are we doing to leverage it so it's actually powerful for other people outside of yourself, right? This is how we live sometimes. We have this wonderfully solid piece of material that's been perfectly engineered to change people's lives, right? This is the point of, of who we are as believers in Jesus Christ, and yet we never apply any leverage to it. We never give it its power to, to do what it needs to do. Not that the gospel is, is powerless in and of itself, but it's been made to go through you. It's not been made to just sit, and it will just sit if you don't leverage it. Does that make sense? So today we're going to put some flesh to that. We're going to try to piece the handle back onto the hammerhead and so that it can actually become a part of your life. Gospel intentionality is the idea, right? Today, I think we, we, we see that in 2 Corinthians, right? So that we can no longer just be hoarders of the gospel, that, but that we're highways of it. That it moves through us. That we are vehicles of the gospel to change other people around us, right? Because we understand that the gospel shapes us so that it can move through us to the people around us. That makes sense? So to do that, we're going to talk about it. But let's go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer before we jump into 2 Corinthians. Our God, thank you so much for your love and care for us. God, we're thankful for our, our team. We're thankful for our pastor, um, Father, who um, just, in, in all honesty, just had a really hectic, um, busy month and was covering a lot of ground and then went to Africa. And so, God, we continue to pray for him uh, and the team with him as they're gone. We also pray for Corinne and the, and the girls as they are uh, um, still just kind of um, doing life without bread at the moment. And we just ask uh, that you would continue to sustain them. God, bring them home safely. But God, even now as we open the word together in 2 Corinthians, God, would you use this? God, to continue the work that you've already been doing. We talked about the gospel, God. It's, it's clear before us, the work of Jesus Christ. What do we do with it? God, would you begin to answer this question for us today? God, would you move in our hearts, move in our lives, do something today to where we walk out of this room taking one step closer to you, a little bit different and a little bit more intentional about the gospel that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So let's start in verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to move quickly through the first few verses. 
to help kind of set up the, the, the second half, but also it'll, it'll remind us of a few things from last week. Starting in verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, right? That deep reverence. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. That word persuade in the Greek, it means uh, to win the approval of. And what Paul was doing here was trying to reestablish his integrity, his ministry among the people of Corinth. Because what was going on, you can go back and uh, Acts and, and track this. When Paul goes to Corinth originally, he had a group of guys that were following him from city to city, kind of harassing his ministry. Um, they were talking to the people, trying to kind of slander the ministry of Paul, slander his integrity. They were trying to just disrupt his ministry among the people. And so throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, what you'll see Paul doing is like teaching and, and instructing and at the same time kind of defending him own, his own self because there was a group of other people that were attacking him at every turn, right? So what he's saying here is that we want to persuade you, right? We, because of our reverence, we try to persuade others, win their favor, right? Because what we are is plain to God, but we want it to be plain to you also. We want you to know that our intentions are good, that we are here in the name of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, verse 12, that we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart because these other guys didn't care what was in the heart, right? But Paul is saying we're not here to to boast or, or to be gloatful about anything. We just want you to trust us, to take pride in our message, understanding that we're concerned with the heart, right? Unlike these other people who are concerned with all of the other things. Verse 13 If we are out of our mind, as some say, because that's what they were saying, Paul and his people, they're crazy, it is for God, right? Which God says in his word over and over again, blessed are those who are persecuted in my name, right? So if people slander you because of your faith in God, praise God. He says, that's okay, that's for God. But if we are in our right mind, if there's anything about us that you see as intentional and as as, as, uh, having a good root in Jesus Christ, if we're in our right mind with reason and all of this stuff, then it is for you. Anything we're saying that makes sense, our ministry to you, it's for you. Because we're spiritually concerned for you, because, because we want the best for you, right? And he goes on to say this. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all have died. See, for the Apostle Paul, it wasn't a decision. He was compelled by the love of Christ. You recall the Apostle Paul back when he was the persecutor Saul. Right, The Pharisee who um, at, into his arms people laid their cloaks as they picked up stones to, to, to kill Stephen. Remember that? They were killing Christians. He was part of that party. right? Overseeing the deal. He was persecuting uh, uh, the very name of Jesus until on the road to Damascus, Jesus kind of came face to face with him and said, Hey, why are you persecuting me? See, the Apostle Paul who called himself the chief of sinners, he was fully aware of God's love in his life because he knows That if anybody deserved to die, it was him. If anybody deserved to not have a relationship with Jesus, it would be the people who kill people who go by the name of Jesus, right? And yet, as as he says here, the the story of the gospel is that God doesn't hold his sin against him, and so he's been redeemed. How could you not be compelled if you have a firsthand encounter with that kind of love? How could you not be compelled to go, right? Did you notice that, by the way? 
Last week, our, our sermon title was uh, Conviction That Compels. And for whatever reason, verse 14 was not our theme verse. It should have been, right? For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. What does he mean by that? Therefore all have died. Well, he says in verse 15, and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again, right? We are convinced that he's alive, that he's well, and so now we don't live for ourselves, we live for him. We die to self. That's what he means at the end of verse 14, that he died so that we can live for him and die to self. That we don't have to be bound anymore by this bondage and these chains of self-living. People don't see it that way, but that's what it is. You're enslaved to living for self. And he says, we don't have to do that anymore. We can live for the purpose of Jesus Christ. In which case, there is nothing that anyone could ever have against you. Nobody can stand against that. And even if worse came to worse and you're killed for the cause of Christ, praise God, you're with the Lord. Nothing can win against that. Right? That's the story of the gospel. He is compelled to share it. He can't not share it. He's convinced. And it brings us to this question that I want to ask ourselves today. Before we get into all of this other stuff about putting flesh and putting the handle back on the hammer and all that kind of stuff, what we need to wrestle with is, who are we living for today? Seriously, who are you living? It sounds like a generic question, but think seriously. Think honestly. Let the Lord pick at your heart. Who are you living for, really? And if you're honest enough to look at places in your life and think, you know, that, that part of my life, it, it is just for me, right? I, I've resisted letting the Lord use that at all, right? That's just for me. That, that's my part of the Well, then maybe, I mean, what does that say about our conviction, right? If there's a lot of pieces of our, of our life, if not our entire lives, that are co- devoted to self, what does that say about the conviction, truly, of our living for the Lord, right? How, how deep is that conviction, really? I believe what's offered to us today is the leverage and power to live with gospel intentionality. And I want to let you know this. It's pretty attainable. It's pretty applicable. It's realistic. It's doable. You could walk out of these doors today with some tangible things about you that are different than when you walked in because what we're dealing with is how you think. It's the intentions of what you do. It's not what you're doing. It's, it's why you're doing things. Right? And if you submit that kind of thinking to the Lord, he can begin that transformation starting today. It's pretty doable, but here's the deal. Regardless of how doable it is, for many of us, it's still going to feel and be a heavy uphill climb because because we're drowning in lifestyles and choices and commitments and pursuits that are for us and not for him. Our living is consumed for us and ours. And listen, Christians, we're really good at justifying all of these things as if God's a fan of them all, right? Right? Well, I work hard for the paycheck because, you know, after all, God wants me to have a good life and to be prosperous, and he wants to give me his blessings, and so I want to make as much money as possible to enjoy life, right? We, we can justify it that way when really, maybe really what's going on is I just want nice things, and I want people to think that I have everything together. We talk a lot about just kids' schedules being consumed with sports and academic pursuits, right? All under the guise of... Well, I just, I just want my kids to have all the opportunities I never had. After all, God wants us to strive for excellence, right? When really, maybe really what's going on is your kids are just your avenue to be competitive, right? The more smart, the more athletic your kids are, it looks better on you, doesn't it? Maybe that's really what's going on. 
Maybe you're here and you sign up for every single ministry opportunity possible because God wants you to be busy, busy, busy for him, right? When really what's going on maybe is that you just, you need to be needed. You want to be wanted. It it, it looks good on you. You want people to see you in a bright light. Maybe you're here and you pepper social media with every new thought and pursuit and exciting thing because after all, God wants us to share life together, right? Maybe you just want people to like you more and to think you have things together. See, that, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. What are you truly living for? What are the intentions behind the things? Now listen, if you're thinking, great, another sermon that bashes social media and kid worshiping and busy living and sports and all that kind of stuff, please don't check out because this isn't that sermon. You'll have plenty of those to come, right? I'm still going to be up here every once in a while, and Pastor Brett, you know he's going to be up here, and you know where he stands on these things. It's going to happen, and we don't take it back. But today, what I want to present to you is not to drop them, to use them. Not to get rid of them, but to to use them as leverage for the gospel. To use them. Don't avoid them, but but to, to repurpose them for the sake of Christ. Because in all of these places that can potentially become idols... They can also be wonderful tools for the gospel if you approach them with gospel intentionality. Tony Meredith said that living out the gospel is doing ordinary things, being ordinary people who do ordinary things with gospel intentionality. That's it. So do them. Be a part of them. But do them in the name of Jesus Christ and use them to to develop relationships, to develop platforms for your voice to speak into their life. Right? Why? Why? Because we're convinced that life isn't about soccer and likes on your social media pages and appearing like you have a perfect life. Life isn't about that stuff. You're convinced that that you have a living Savior who has saved you, forgiven you, and he's given you a mission and a glory eternal. This is what you live for. This is why you do all things. So the question for us today before we get into the rest of this passage, are we ready to quit using God to justify living for self? Are we ready to truly start living on mission for him today? And if so, if that's you, then let's start putting the handle back on the hammer. Let's start leveraging our faith, leveraging our belief, leveraging our lives for the work of the gospel. Here's four things that I want to give you from 2 Corinthians 5 to help you begin living with gospel intentionality. Okay, four things. First, and probably most obvious, is prayer. Prayer. Let's read verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Right? At one point in time, we saw Jesus breathing, living. He was around us. He was a human. He, he, was, he was human, right? We, we, we saw him as, from a human perspective. But now he's dead and he's alive. And then he floated into the clouds to be with the Lord, right? You can't look at him anymore and not think of him from a spiritual perspective. He's not just a man. He's something more. But listen, he says we are to regard people in the same way. You are not just a person. You're not just a body. You're not just flesh and blown. But there's an eternal part about you. An immaterial thing called this, this soul. It's your being. It's your essence. We talked about it last week. And listen, it has an eternal reality. Because heaven and hell are real places. We need to think about people in this respect. We can't have a worldly perspective on people anymore. We must see everyone with a spiritual perspective. One commentator said uh, that Paul is simply expressing here his priority to meet people's spiritual needs over their physical needs. 
Listen, Sierra Leone is a village full of physical need. They don't have running water. Uh, they don't have, um, as you saw, very clean anything. Housing's a mess. They don't have the physical things that we have. But we're not going to go there and meet all their physical needs, right? Give them gifts and, and give them food. We're not going to go there and do all of this stuff and never mention Christ, are we? I mean, that's ludicrous. Why would you do that? Jesus didn't heal people just so they could live 30 more years and then go to hell. He healed people because he was focused on their spiritual state. That's why he did those things. By the way, why did they kill Jesus? Because of what he said, right? He claimed to be God and they killed him. You know what they didn't kill him over? Who he was, how he lived. Because whenever it was just that stuff, people flocked to him. Because he was healing people, he was serving people, he was kind to people, he was loving to people, he was compassionate to people. That's how he treated people. And listen, that's where we need to be for the cause of Christ. We need to embrace all of that, right? So we pray for people because we are spiritually concerned for people. We are in touch with the spiritual reality of people. And so we pray for them. Are you praying for people in your life? Are you praying for their souls? Are you praying for opportunity to share the gospel with them? Are you praying for them, right? It's so easy for us to get lost in the physical, isn't it? Oh, God, please heal grandma's brother's cousin's nephew's broken finger right that's our prayer like it's it's good stuff it's all physical stuff that we need to pray for but that's not the end game the end game is the spiritual stuff heal grandma's cousin's brother's nephew's broken finger and may he somehow see you in this However catastrophic this might be for him may he see you may you insert yourself into that scenario somehow would you let him see you as a result of this thing, right? We, we meet physical needs so that we can promote the answer to all spiritual needs, who is Jesus Christ. So we pray, we pray. By the way, this is embodied perfectly by the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, verse 1, where he says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now listen, we read that one verse and it feels kind of generic. But if you read a chapter before, he's saying, God, I would, I would give up my salvation if it meant that they could be saved. Why? Because he was a Jew. And so in his deepest parts, he wanted his people, the Jewish people, the Israelites, to see Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Listen, he had a passion for his people. Do you have a passion uh, of the heart, your heart's desire and prayer for your people? Right? Your family members, your, your friends, the people already closest to you, your teammates, all this. Your people, do you have this desire, this prayer of the heart to God that God might use you somehow to meet their spiritual needs? And listen, Jesus, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, listen to this. Right? He's on the cross. He's bleeding out. He's in agony. He's in pain. And he looks at Everybody around him, all the people who crucified him, all the people who are casting lots over his clothes, all the people who are shouting at him, and he says, Lord, may they, may they burn in hell. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In his dying breaths, Jesus prays to the Father and says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Listen, prayer is where it begins. Anyone who has ever had a passion and an effective ministry towards the loss in their lives, I guarantee you it started with prayer every time. 
1940, there was a class of students from Wheaton College who took a trip to England to visit Epworth, uh, which is where John Wesley and his brother, where they grew up. These are great reformers, right? They started the whole uh, Methodist uh, Wesleyan tradition uh, of faith. Great reforming guys. And so this class took a trip there. Um, They visited the Wesley home, which is now a museum. And beside John Wesley's bed, uh, there's two worn impressions in the ground where it said that John Wesley would kneel in the ground for hours on end, praying for England's social and spiritual renewal, praying for revival for his country. All the students, they got done at the museum. They were getting in the bus, and the professor noticed one student missing. And so he went back into the house. He went upstairs, and he found this young man with his knees in the same spot as the knees of John Wesley, with his face on the bed, praying, God, would you do it again? Would you do it again? And the professor put his hand on the guy's shoulder, and he said, Billy, it's time to get up. Billy Graham went on to be one of the greatest evangelists that we've ever seen. He has a global ministry that goes farther. In the, I mean, it's just prominent person, right? Prominent person. I guarantee you he would not have done what he had done if he wasn't absolutely convinced and compelled to do what he did because of of the heart of prayer that he had. He prayed, Lord, do it again. And God used him. By the way, he was a charismatic guy. I'm walking on really fine lines here. I'm not saying anything negative about him. But did you know that his message was very simple? You ever heard Billy Graham preach? I've heard plenty of other pastors who are kind of more engaging and and funnier and all of that kind of stuff. But they didn't have the power that he had in his simple message of the gospel. I tell you what, all you need is a simple message of the gospel and and some prayer to go behind it. And God's going to use you. He's going to use you. Are we praying for people? Secondly is this, right? If you're praying for people, you've got that name in your mind that you've known for a while. You've probably already developed a pretty good voice in their life. You've got this person in mind. Right? Praying for that person. Well, now time to go to work. Start building the platform, right? You need to earn the right to speak into someone's life. And I think this is becoming truer and truer as our society gets more and more untrusting and resistant to strangers. I'm not saying door-to-door evangelism is not effective, but more and more, it seems that if you really want to speak into somebody's life, you need to establish some trust. You need to establish your own voice in their life, right? Nobody listens to somebody else who they don't like, who they don't respect, who they think is disingenuous, uh, who is not authentic. They're not going to listen to you about serious matters. You get that? They're not going to. So what do we do about this? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it helps us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Right? If you're in Christ today, then you're a new person. You have the newness of Jesus Christ that is transforming you from the inside out. Right? And this newness of life means that you can begin to look like Jesus in all the places that you never could, right? In your addictions, you can begin to look more like Jesus Christ. In your bad attitudes, you can begin to look more like Jesus Christ. In your skepticism and cynicism, you can begin to look more like Jesus Christ. In your actions and in your words and in the way you treat people, you can begin to look more like Christ. This is the newness of Christ that's been afforded to you by the blood of, his son, uh, of Jesus Christ shed upon the cross. And listen, when we take steps into that, then he begins to transform something in us, right? The fruits of the Spirit. He begins to live these things out. And people want these things. I've never met anybody who says, you know what, that person's too joyful. That person's too at peace. That person has uh, unbearable self-control. 
right? Nobody says that stuff because these are all things that people respect and cherish in life. And if these things embody you, it gives you a platform to speak into people's lives. We're not perfect. We know that, right? But we're just letting Jesus loose in the way we treat people. The reality is that people are less and less inclined to listen seriously to people that they don't like, that they don't respect, that they don't consider authentic. Right, the Bible calls us to this, by the way. Just so you know, I'm not making all this up. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. The Apostle Paul has some words for Timothy, who's pastoring a church, and uh, he's talking about elders in the church, right? These men who are called to serve. By the way, um, it says in Timothy that we should all aspire to this, right? These are good things for just anybody, not just elders, right? Um, just because somebody's an elder or just because it's, it says it's a qualification for an elder, and you're like, well, I don't want to be an elder, so I don't need to worry about this stuff. That's, that's not what he's saying here, right? This goes for everybody. And he says to have a good reputation with outsiders. Why? This is the elder of the church. Why does it matter what outsiders think of him? It matters because when it comes to platform, when it comes to sharing the gospel. First Peter chapter 2, verses 12 and 15. Peter says, live, live such good lives among the pagans, that is, unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. And then verse 15 says this, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And the point is this, right? That people can say whatever they want <clears throat> against your faith, against your belief. Praise God for that. They can, they can even disown you just based on what you believe. But listen, they'll have nothing to say against the way that you live. Above reproach. They'll have nothing to say against the way that you live, right? They can say all they want about your faith, but I believe that if we embody uh, treating people like Jesus treated people, then maybe at some point with the help of the Spirit, God will connect the dots in their hearts that say, wow, the integrity of this person must be connected to their faith in Jesus Christ. At some point, maybe the Lord will, will connect those dots for people, right? Yeah, that guy, he, 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 he's pretty weird, when it comes to his faith, right, he's always carrying his Bible around, always talking to me about church and stuff. But I tell you what, he's as reliable as they come. It's kind of annoying how much she keeps inviting me to church, right? It's kind of annoying how much she keeps talking about all the ministries she's involved in and all that kind of stuff. But I tell you what, she will do anything for me. This is probably the people we need to be. Probably looking a little weird on the outside because we worship a risen king and it's just kind of weird to some people. But when it comes down to it, they have nothing to say against our name. We have a platform to speak into their lives. Right? Sadly, many believers, they're ridiculed in faith and also in integrity. And so they make a fool of themselves because they say one thing, but they do something different. Right? Instead of the ministry of reconciliation, it's the ministry of rejection and judgmentalism and, and condemnation. And they ruin their own voice among people. They're useless when it comes to the gospel living through you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, looking at verses 18 and 19. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Right? The ministry of reconciliation through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to our creator. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We've been given the ministry and message of reconciliation. This is what you got. He's entrusted it to you, right? We're his plan for reaching the lost. But far too often what we embody is the ministry of rejection 
the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of judgmentalism, right? That's the ministry of the church in a lot of people's eyes. Listen, I understand it's important to call sin, sin. For a lot of people, they just need to know, you know, what they're doing is sinful, and that'll be part of their process of understanding that this world is just broken, and it'll help them see the need for their Savior. But we only call sin, sin when it's followed with the hope and reconciliation that is offered in Jesus Christ. And if we don't do the second part, then keep your mouth shut on the first part, right? Far too often we're known for our disgust at sinful ways of living. We're known for expressing our intense political views in often derogatory and offensive ways. We're known for setting ourselves apart and not associating associating with people because we don't have the same moral or behavioral standards. And in each case, what we do is we put out this perception of the church of either elitism or crass judgment. And in both cases, you ruin your voice on behalf of the gospel before those people. You ruin your voice. You don't have a platform to speak into them. That makes sense? Why would your adult kids respect your voice about faith if all they ever see from you is you bashing them about not going to church and mistreating your wife? Right? Why would they take your, your voice for anything? Why would your classmates respect your voice on faith issues if you also frequently make fun of people and mess with people and are disrespectful to your teachers and you take your grades not seriously at all and you dress immodestly and you go to the parties and you do what everyone else does? Why would anybody take your voice why would they receive it? Right? Your classmates aren't stupid. They know what good is and they know what bad is and they often know what they're doing is bad and if they see you doing bad and talking good, they're going to call you out on it every time. But far too often young people think, well, I just got to do all of that stuff so I can share the gospel with them later. Right? I got to maintain the relationship. Listen, you don't have to do any of it. I can point to you about five or six people in this room right now who walked through all of those academic lines and they maintained a good name and standing among all the people around them and they didn't give in to any of those things. You don't have to do that stuff to have a voice in people's life. Why would parents of other kids on your sports teams listen to your voice on anything if all they see you doing is barking at the underpaid refs and causing arguments with other people? Over sports, by the way. Why? Why would your neighbors or your co-workers respect your voices if all they ever see is someone annoyed at everyone else's imperfections and failures? Right? This is far too often our, our effort of evangelism. Instead, let's calm down. And in patient intentionality, let's pray for people. Let's earn the platform to speak into their lives by living how Jesus lived, by treating them fully in the character and goodness of his spirit. We pray we earn the platform. And thirdly, don't forget this. You have the power of the gospel at your disposal. The power of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, you have the message and ministry of reconciliation entrusted to you. You are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, which means you represent Christ and you are his spokesman on this world, right? On this planet. That's you. That's me. We have this ministry of reconciliation. And listen, we have the power of the gospel. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. He made Jesus become sin for us so that in him we may be 
made righteous. Look, are you out there? Do you, do you feel dirty today? Do any of you feel unworthy? Do any of you feel just gross inside? You feel like you're just filled with regrets? You feel like there's nothing righteous about you at all? Praise God, you're in a good spot. Most people in this room understand that we are not righteous, and we can never earn our own righteousness. We need someone to give it to us, and that's the gospel. And I'm telling you, you have people in your lives that they are fully aware of the depravity of man right now, and they're looking for a savior. This isn't the case with everybody, but with a lot of people, they are thirsty. They're hungry for just something good. And if they have uh, a respectable person, person come and just share the name of Jesus Christ with them, that's all they'll need. Why? Because the story is good enough in and of itself, isn't it? That he became sin so that we wouldn't have to. That's good. There's a little kid's movie that uh, my daughters have taken to. It's kind of sad at the end, Bridge to Terabithia. I'm in the habit of ruining movies for people, I guess, up here. So um, um, she dies in the end. Okay? So, anyways. Uh, she, uh, uh, he, the little boy, takes her to church someday. And the little boy comes from, like, this uh, kind of beaten down, you kind of, like, uh, country, country home, kind of poor. You know, dad's kind of stern, that kind of stuff, but they're religious. Um, and so he takes her to church, very traditional setting. She's kind of this little free thinker, you know. And then they're riding in the back of the truck uh, on the way home. And the, and the girl says to the boy, she, she, she said, it was a profound line. She says, you, you hate it because you have to believe it. They're talking about the message of Jesus. You hate it because you have to believe it. I don't have to believe it, and I think it's beautiful. That's what she says. And I think a lot of people are there. The message of Jesus Christ is a very beautiful thing. That someone would see my need and die for me? How is that not beautiful? The only reason it wouldn't be beautiful to you is if you don't realize your own need. But listen, some people are already there, and they need someone to just share the name of Jesus with them. A lot of times we get scared out of it, don't we? We think evangelism needs to be this experience where we bulldoze somebody's door down, we corner them, and then we demand a response for Jesus, right? Some aggressive way of, of sharing Christ. And the thing is, I don't think we need to be so destructive, first of all, but I don't think we need to create these things anymore. I think life for each and every person affords us all the opportunity we need to share the gospel. What we need is a sensitivity and awareness to see when other people are in those places of life. Right? Life gives us all the opportunity we need. Every single one of us lives in this political and social climate. Boom. There's your entryway into talking about the depravity of man. Right? Everybody goes through medical scares. Everybody has stresses of life work-related, money-related, family-related. Everybody goes through deaths of family and friends. Right? Are you close enough to people to just have eyes open? I guarantee you every single person in your life that you might pray for for the gospel is going through one of these things. All of them, perfect segues into talking about the hope of Jesus Christ and let the power of the gospel do a work there. By the way, we're going into the holiday season. Every piece of research and statistics tells us that people are more receptive and open to coming to church, to religious matters, right? By the way, 7 out of 10, I heard the statistic, 7 out of 10 people, if you ask them to come to church with you and say, come to church with me, and I'm going to meet you at this door, and you're going to walk in, and we're going to sit together the whole day. If you make an appointment of it, 7 out of 10 people will say yes, right? 7 out of 10 people. People are more receptive to it. The holiday season, we're all about to enter into it. The holiday season is a perfect opportunity to see the opportunities in people's lives to insert the gospel. 
right? And if you're scared about the conversation, well, bring him here and let us open the conversation for you. On December 9th, we have a Christmas concert. On Christmas Eve, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service. Um, On the Sunday after Christmas, we're going to have a Christmas service, right? All of those are going to be packed full. Pray for these people. Develop the platform in their lives and invite them there. Let us open the conversation about the gospel to them because we will. And then you'll have all of this ammunition. Poor choice of words. But you'll have all of these tools to, to, to have these conversations with them. Right? You'll have it. Imagine if we're praying for people in our own lives. We're doing all we can to establish the, our platforms Living like Jesus would want us to live, kindness and love and compassion, all of these things. And then when life lets us in, and it always will, we take the opportunity and we go with it. Brother, I've been there, right? I've, I understand you're going through this, this tragedy. Listen, I, I was there too, but you know, Jesus, I don't know where I'd be if Jesus Christ wasn't a part of my life. Can I tell you about him? I mean, just, that's all it is. It's doable, isn't it? It's attainable. But I would encourage you to take the patient, intentional approach, pray, develop that platform, and then have sensitive awareness to those spots in life when they're ready to receive, and then you go in. If if we did this, if we did this, it would change the community at FBN. It would change the culture of this place, the culture of your own home, of your own family. It would just change this place. I would love... If this place, every time we came, it was just a common thing to hear people chatting, right? That's, that's what your culture is, by the way. It's what you chat about when you get together, right? Just chatting about, yeah, my neighbor. I had the opportunity to share Christ with him. I, I don't know if it did any good or not. Be praying for. I mean, I would just love if that was just part of the culture here, wouldn't you? It would be significant what the Lord would do with this place. I think that was three. So four, you have the power of the gospel. Number four, you have your own personal story. It's your probably greatest tool. If you're here and if you fall in love with Jesus Christ and you have a, you have a story. There's some people in here that have crazy stories and nobody knows. <laughs> Share your story. I've been there, man. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you what God's di- people did for me. Use that. All right. So pray, establish your platform with them. Share the hope of the gospel with them. And you, that might be all you need. But... Be vulnerable. Share your own story with them. I want to see, I want to see this stuff start unraveling around here. That'd be awesome. Listen, we're going into the holiday season. I, there's not a better time for me to challenge you with this. And so we're going to go into a time of prayer. There's going to be some prayer points. But the question, the only question I'm really concerned right now is, is are you in? Are you in? Are, are you in? Are you going to do this? Right? We could easily just walk out of these doors. That was a weird sermon today, blah, 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 where we eat and blah, blah, blah. Monday, you forgot about it all. We could easily do that. So many people do that every single week. (laughs) I've done that. But are you in? Is today going to be different? Are you going to go into this season with, with a gospel intentionality that you did not have coming into this room today? I can't answer that for you, but I pray, deeply I pray, that you would bring these things before the Lord and let him do something unique in you today. For those out there who desperately need the gospel, you've been given the gospel to share it to the people around you who desperately need it. This is our ministry. This is our message. We are ambassadors. Let's do it. Are you in? Let's pray. God, would you establish firmly the call 
of this ministry of reconciliation upon our lives. God, let us not live for self anymore, but in all of our personal pursuits, may we leverage them for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, would you do this work among us now? In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We're going to go to a time of worship, uh, but first we're going to have a time of prayer. There's some few things on the screen for you to, to pray about as we go into the season of the gospel intentionality. So take the time uh, to, to let the Lord pick at your heart about bring the Lord and then we'll worship together.